I'm Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. We've been off the air for a while. I was a little bit burned out and needed to take a break after the draft, but but we're back. I'm here with David Todd. David, how are you? Good, thanks, Charlie. In New York, uh, we wake up to some interesting news today. Obviously, disappointing news for Pirates fans. Charlie Morton, apparently a torn ligament in his right elbow. And uh, I guess that was originally reported by Dayan Kovacevic. It, it hasn't been confirmed by the team, but the, you know, the cat's out of the bag. The news is out there. Clearly, Charlie Morton's season is done this year. Uh, he's gonna. This is a nine to twelve month recovery. It would be likely, maybe, that he would be back sometime around the All Star break next year. Uh, there's a question, obviously, with him getting closer and closer to arbitration. Uh, would the Pirates non tender him? And those are some of the things we can talk about over time. But this is a big blow to the staff, Charlie. And I think there are bigger issues here that really haven't been discussed, and we can get into it. Uh, but the Pirates' starting staff something that has carried them for the first 100 games last year, for the first 60 games this year. All of a sudden, the ramifications throughout this season and next season with this move and with some of the other things we've seen. But uh, clearly some startling news for you this morning as well. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not startling. but Yeah, uh, right. But, maybe not startling. Right. right. I mean, I think we all sort of figured something was wrong. But big news nonetheless. And, I mean, in the short term, I'm not that concerned. There's a fair amount about Morton in particular. He didn't pitch all that well this year, and now we know why. But there's also a fair amount of depth this year to fill in the back of the rotation. Um, the question is exactly how things are going to go now that Morton's gone. We also have Brad Lincoln, who is showing that he probably should not be, you know, he's probably a pretty valuable pitcher in some other context, but probably should not be in the rotation. Uh, and then Kevin Correa, who's not pitching well at all, as we all pretty much predicted. So, with, with all that uncertainty, there's going to be some, some chances for Jeff Locke and Rudy Owens probably to break into the rotation. I would assume, assume we're going to see some, something like that happen within the next couple of weeks, but I'm not totally sure how it's going to play out. Well, there'll be some interesting moves here on the, on the 15 and 60-man. Morton, who's already on the 15-man, will go to the 60-man, and that'll, that'll, create, that'll open a roster spot overall. Uh, that's probably great news for Chris LaRue. So when he comes back, I expect kind of, I've said all along, I expect Chris LaRue to come back to the bullpen and and uh, be a guy. Obviously, they have to create a 25-man spot for him, but I expect him to be a guy who's going to be the long man out of the bullpen. But, Charlie, I think the, the ramifications here in the starting rotation are much bigger than people realize uh, with this news. Because if we look at this season, uh, no, no question, James McDonald and A.J. Burnett are the front two guys in this rotation. They've been excellent. I expect them to continue to be excellent. Eric Bedard has been everything the Pirates could hope for in a $5 million free agent acquisition. There's obviously injury risk with him. He's given the Pirates 62 and two-thirds innings, though, so far this year, uh, and he's done it in a very acceptable fashion. <clears throat> Strikeout rate's high. Walk rate's a tad higher than you like, but he's been slightly less effective uh, the last month than he was, say, the first six weeks of the season. The problem is behind that. We we came into the, the start of the season and really kind of six or seven weeks into the season saying the Pirates came north with six starting pitchers, with the sixth being, uh, you know, we had, they had Kevin Correa, they had Charlie Morton, and, and you know, you had, you had an extra guy depending on who was healthy at what point in time and when guys were coming back. And it worked out when, when Karstens got hurt 
that opened up the spot for Morton. So you had Karstens down. <clears throat> and now we're here at the point where now Morton's back out and he's gone. So they now they're back to the six guys they originally thought they had, with the six being Jeff Karstens. Well, uh, Jeff Karstens is going to come back, fill one of those holes. Brad Lincoln's a guy who maybe isn't going to be a starter. Kevin Correa is a guy who, as you said, probably isn't suitable to be a starter on a contending team, and his contract's done at the end of the year. And if you look at this, Eric Bedard's gone at the end of the year. So next year's starting rotation is James McDonald, A.J. Burnett, and a huge, big hole. And that hole, Jeff Carson's is certainly a candidate to fill one of those shots spots, as is Rudy Owens, and I guess we'll throw Jeff Locke's name in there. But the fact of the matter is, there's not another guy under contract who really you can say, unless you want to put Brad Lincoln back in the picture, uh, I think Brad Lincoln will be on the team one way or another. But even with Brad Lincoln, that's six guys to fill your starting rotation next year, only two of whom are, we'll say two and a half are, are proven, with Karstens being the half. Big holes, Neil Huntington's going to have to go out and kind of uh, you know hit the lottery again in the offseason to find guys to fill those spots because you know we look back into the minor league system and we've talked about this at length. There's not a guy at Altoona. There's some of those free agent signing guys are pitching well this year in AAA, but the you know the, McPherson's been hurt. He's just getting back into the into the swing of things. Justin Wilson has been erratic enough that I'm not sure what his future holds. So uh, you know the depth of starting pitching, something that looked like a strength uh, as shortly as two weeks ago. Should the depth should get through the, the rest of the year because the Pirates want to see what they have in Rudy Owens and want to see what they have in Jeff Locke, and them each getting 10 starts in the rest of the year is probably fine. May mean the Pirates aren't a contender this year, but you know, God forbid if those guys come up and get banged around, the Pirates may be going into next season with kind of two and a half serviceable starters. Right, and this kind of shows me how important it is that Jeff Carstens comes back and pitches well at the end of the year. I mean, that would really help settle settle a lot of the rotation picture. He's making $3.1 million this year. You'd think he would be due for a raise up to about $4 million or so next year. You know, if, if he can bring some stability to the rotation, he's obviously a bargain at that price. Uh, if he can't, then things are really, really uncertain heading into the, the season, I, uh, the 2013 season. I don't, I don't think there's any problem with leaving one spot open at the back of the rotation so that that Locke or Owens or, or maybe Justin Wilson, depending on how things shake out with him, can take one of those spots. But the Pirates are going to have to look for at least one veteran starter in the offseason, I would think. Yeah, and it's not like they're not out there. There are going to be guys out there like Bedard, like Paul Mahalams of the world. There will be names uh, to sign. And, you know, you feel reasonably comfortable, uh, having seen what we've seen the, the first uh, 60, 70 games, you feel reasonably comfortable with James McDonald and A.J. Burnett as your one and two guys. So, mm -hmm. as you say, if Karstens can be the fourth guy and Rudy Owens – be the, the third or fourth guy and Rudy Owens is the fifth guy – then you slot in a, a mid guy. It's not the end of the world. The problem is, uh, as we've seen this year, the Pirates got through so many games last year without any injuries to the starters, and then basically all f you know four of the five broke down. Uh, I don't think you can count on Jeff Carson's for 33 starts in a season, and then God forbid something happened to one of the other two guys, as we've seen here with now, uh, you know, an injury like to, to Charlie Morton. Um, you know, th there isn't depth in the system behind the guys we're now we're already counting the depth in the system this year for next year so there's not depth behind that uh to to you know fill in those holes 
There doesn't appear to be now. Um, it's it's tough to predict how things might look in a year. But in the meantime, I think Neil Huntington does deserve some credit for uh, the, the depth the Pirates currently have. They've had a, a, a bunch of injuries and problems with the rotation. Uh, and still, it looks like there's there's really no shortage of options. Of course, if you take Correa off the table, which you probably should at this point, then um, that changes a little bit. But, but you know, at least getting through the year, I feel pretty comfortable. But, yeah, this is definitely a problem that's going to have to be addressed in the offseason. Yeah, well, and, and Carson's having, for those who, who don't know and haven't followed the, the, the rehab stint with the guys not on the roster, Carson's made his last rehab start in Indianapolis, tweaked his hip flexor, which they originally thought was a groin. He had had a more severe groin injury in his, in his, earlier in his career but the hip flexor, five to seven days. We're a couple days into that. He's throwing on flat ground. Uh, this is going to set him back a week or two. But again, I, the worst case scenario, assuming nothing worse happens, the worst case scenario is uh, he's he's probably back around July first. And I would think you know the d- disaster scenario would be the All Star break. So in the interim here of needing guys to fill starts. Not sure they need somebody. They'll probably, you know, probably go with what they've what they've been going with. I think uh, it's been reported that Brad Lincoln and Kevin Crea will get their next start. So we'll see them uh, pitch this weekend. I think if uh, the calendar falls like I, I think beginning of the week this weekend Sunday, the beginning of the week Monday Tuesday, we'll see them go out there. But certainly those guys are on short leashes. And if Carson's is back and ready to go. One of those guys will move to the bullpen. I would think if that happens, when Chris LaRue is ready to come back, and that probably is not more than 10 to 15 days away now, uh, Jeff uh, uh, Kevin Correa's pirate career might be very much up in the air. And that is a question, do you just keep him around, Charlie, for emergency starting pitching depth? Or do you say, look, it's time for Locke and Owens. Correa's really given me nothing, and I don't need him in the bullpen with Chris LaRue back. I, I don't I don't think they need him. I mean they they have and I, and I respect that that depth is important, but I think they have enough of it to get through the rest of the season. I mean, knock on wood. <laughs> I don't want to be cursing them by saying that. But I, he, this is a guy who has 4.43 ERA this year. I mean, the the numbers demonstrate he's gotten lucky to even get to that level. He's striking out something like less than four batters per nine innings. I mean. You know, to the extent that he provides depth, you have to question even what depth he's he's providing and how much better, you know, how much value he would really provide even as a mop-up man. So, you know, that's what I would say. But you know, if this is if this takes two weeks to play out, and we've we've all seen how much can happen in two weeks that changes the picture. Yeah, and and in those two weeks, Charlie, let's talk about the last two weeks on the other side of the of the ball, so to speak. Um, we've, we've seen now Rod Barajas, uh, he had a good end of May and he's had a, a decent start to June, an OPS plus of 88, an OPS of 682. He's got five homers, uh, seven doubles. At this point, at this point, this is what I think the Pirates thought they were getting. The throwing out base runners is is an abomination for, for he and McHenry. I think they're throwing out eight point. They're on pace to throw out eight point one percent or so this season. That's a disaster. But generally, with what Barajas is giving you, uh, are you content with that at this point? Yeah, I, I think this is pretty much what exactly what the Pirates expected. I think that some of the the responsibility for not holding runners goes to the pitchers as well. Um, so yeah, I mean this is pretty much you know the the whole year as an aggregate, which includes the the bad, very bad start to the year as well as his, his decent hitting over the past four or five weeks, uh, or actually his good hitting over the past four or five weeks, 
all that combines to form pretty much exactly what we expected to get out of Barajas. I'm, I'm satisfied with him. And I, I think we can say exactly the same thing about Neil Walker. The, the lack of power is a little disconcerting. Hit a home run in the ninth the other night. He has four on the season. Uh, his OPS plus up to 94, 698 OPS. Uh, you know, generally scouts think his defense is much improved. Uh, you know, I'm a little skeptical on that, but I've been hard on Walker all year long. And and his hitting has been better over the over the past month. Strikeouts higher than you would like. 51 strikeouts on the year in 241 plate appearances, 221 at bats, and that number has been climbing percentage-wise as the season's gone on. But you know, again, I think serviceable uh, on a contending team at second base, hitting in the two spot uh, with what he's given us, particularly the last month. Yeah, um, yeah, he's actually hit. Pretty well so far in June. You're right about the strikeouts. I'm counting them up here. I think he has 15 strikeouts so far in June, uh, which is a ton. But that's also going along with with uh, three doubles, two homers, um, and and all of a sudden the the average is certainly perked up as well, which is you know very nice to see. If if, if Walker can be a good complementary hitter for this team, as opposed to somebody you just put up with, then you know that's a big addition. Yeah, and we'll just say Kutch has been Kutch, and he's in the MVP conversation, so I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on his success. He's been fantastic. And now we can kind of – let's talk about a few other guys. Actually, can we talk about Kutch for a second? Yeah, fire I, away. I got asked um, by an Indians blogger today, McCutcheon has been great for you guys. What do you think he's going to do in his prime? And my response was kind of like, yeah, I think this is it. I think he's in it. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think he's in it. I mean, maybe, maybe the – He's got 11 homers here. Maybe he ends up being a guy. Uh, I think he ended up with 22 or 25 last year. Maybe he's a guy who ends up hitting 30 uh, at some point in his career. He's 25. If you if we say that you know the the prime is going to be kind of 26 to 29, he's right around it. No question. I I think these are the kind of numbers you hope a guy puts up. His 12 stolen bases with only four caught stealing uh, is an improvement. A 9.33 OPS is fantastic. I'm not a big. I don't. I don't think either of us are big believers in protection in the lineup. But certainly, if you put him in, you know, a lineup more potent, I think that would that would certainly help him. But yeah, I think it's just having more guys on base and having pitchers pitch out of the stretch, and for those reasons. But yeah, I think he's been. You know, I don't know how much more you'd ever ask out of anybody right. uh, when they're OPSing 9.33. Right. I, but what I said is that if he if he really is not yet in his prime, and if there's more here. Uh, that we're going to see over the past, over the next five years or so, he's going to win MVP awards, as in multiple ones. Tell me what you're thinking of the corner outfielders, Presley and Tabata. Presley on his on his uh, his recall back now, about two weeks into that. Uh, it seems to be working out uh, a, a lot better this time. I mean, he's hitting the ball with authority now, which he wasn't. He definitely wasn't doing before. What what's your what's your take on him? What do you think is different about him? I just again, I just I think it's very simple for me when I watch Alex Presley. It's how fast is he getting his hands through the zone? Mm-hmm. And you know, I felt like uh, right before he got sent down, he was getting overmatched. He looked bad doing it. wasn't driving the ball. And when he came right back, if he was stinging the ball, I haven't seen the two games in Baltimore. Uh, listened to them, kind of followed him along, but I didn't get to see how he looked at the plate. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought generally those things are good. The Tabata thing, I rode really hard about him dogging it in this whole uh, DL or not DL. That seems maybe to have blown over finally. But, I, I, you know, the thing for me to watch here for the next 30 games is his efforts. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems like the last I can't remember any any problematic plays in the last few days at least. So there's that. Uh, of course, his performance overall still leaves a lot to be desired. Casey McGee's been better. Uh, one of the things with Pirate fans, Kevin Goldstein talked. To, he sent a tweet today, and it was not Pirate related, but he was talking about. Uh, a guy in the minor leagues who was a prospect, and he talked. Said, "Player, if you all like Player X, who was a current player in the major leagues, and you're, you're just, or you don't like Player X, and you're salivating over Player Y, you're nuts. It just means you like shiny new toys. And I don't think that necessarily applies with the Pirates guys here. I think Pirates fans want to change because the guys who were up uh, have, have sucked. I mean, you know, Clint Barmas has sucked. Pedro's sucked basically." Uh, you know, except for that that seven or ten game stretch where he was, you know, I, I don't even he was Babe Ruth essentially. But it's interesting. Uh, Josh Harrison got a lot of run, and then he's gotten none now. Uh, Jordy Mercer really hasn't even gotten a chance. He had he played in four games. He's only had eleven at bats. I I think three of those four games kind of came in a row or within three and a four game stretch. I'm not sure I quite understand the usage patterns. Of, uh, of 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 Hague, Harrison, and Mercer, with McGee playing better, is he going to get you know more regular starts now? His OPS plus is up to 85. How do you think they're going to play this kind of up to the All Star break? Well, the the thing that's interesting to me about this is that we keep having players on the Pirates bench who don't play, and I that's what I don't really understand about this situation. Why you call someone up? Um, like Mercer and, and don't play him, just as you call up Pedro Siriaco for long stretches of last year and, and don't play them. It seems like it's not, it's not a big deal, but it seems like wasting an asset, especially when you are heading into two series in AL parks. People have hit better over the past couple of weeks, but it's still not a good offensive team. And you have a chance to call, call up a hitter, but you'd rather have two infielders on your bench who you don't use. So that's what makes this unpredictable for me, is that I, I continue to not understand the way the Pirates use the last couple spots on their bench. I think that's a. I think it's a legit point. Uh, you know, Casey McGee is getting a lot of a lot of chances, and you know maybe that's all playing out here. Clint Barmer has a two-year contract. He's been a little better. I, I still am surprised that people are complimenting his his defense as much as they are. I think it's been adequate. I don't think it's been terrible, but I certainly don't think it's been uh, maybe what what people perceived it might be. But, uh, yeah, it's tough. The Pirates, are th- you know, I, and again, we, we probably sound like uh, downers here, and I guess the Charlie Morton news gets us down a little bit. They're 32-29. and 29. They've, been playing, they've been playing some pretty good baseball. The sweep of Kansas City certainly was winning good games over a bad team or a team that a lot of people would think would be better. And we, we, we saw a lot of national media coverage, Charlie, and the site's been loaded with kind of fan shots to the national media talking about the Pirates, but everybody – Saying you know, and, and your buddy Grant Brisby wrote wrote the article about talking about uh, you know my love. I can't I can't commit to you because you've burned me too many times. <laughs> right, uh, and it's 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 interesting to me like the the contrast between the team's record and how I feel about the team. I I don't feel at all positive about the the direction of this organization or about this team in general. But you know, it's true that like they've played a lot of really interesting and well-fought baseball games uh, and, and very uh, entertaining baseball games over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, some credit is definitely due for that. I mean, the, the finale of the series against the Reds where uh, McHenry doubles off of Aroldis Chapman it was a crazy and great ending to that game. And then this 
weird, weird Kansas City series where the Royals are giving up all these runs because they're playing guys out of position and the Pirates are finding ways to beat them. I mean, it was exciting and it was fun to watch. And, you know, so I think some some credit is certainly due there as much as we, we may sound like downers in other areas. Yeah, yeah, no question about that. When you look at uh, – you, you wrote something about their interleague schedule that I thought was interesting where, you know, re- the reality is uh, this team is two games out and they, they have <coughs> done okay in their interleague games, but it's actually a pretty favorable schedule. Yeah, it's not a bad interleague schedule at all. I mean, the, the fact that most of these games are coming against the AL Central, which is just a terrible division, and they don't have to play the Chicago White Sox, who are the one team in that division who that is that has played pretty well. That's great. I mean, they have they had uh, three games against the Orioles, who, I mean, they haven't played very well in them. But the, I don't. I'm not at all convinced the Orioles are a very good team. I know there are several games, you know, nine games over 500 or or whatever. But I, I think that they have a pretty pretty bad pitching staff, and I'm not at all convinced by them. The Indians are coming up. I don't think that they're that great of a team either. And then there's three against the team uh, against the Twins. They're terrible. Um, and then three against the Tigers, who have not been as good as I guess probably some people projected. And then it, you know it continues four games against the Phillies, who again really have not been as good as a lot of people maybe hope this year before they finally have to face a good team in the Cardinals. So as these things go, I mean I I think Pirates fans are used to interleague series just killing this team, but if I mean it, it appears that that really is has not been how it's happened this year thanks to the sweep by the uh, sweep of the Royals. And if it does happen that way, I mean, I think it's mostly on the Pirates because I, I don't think that these are very good teams. Yeah, it's interesting. The Pirates have the 14th best record in baseball, exactly the same as the Indians at 32 and 29. The, the, teams, the teams right behind them are the Cardinals, the Miami Marlins, the Blue Jays, uh, the Red Sox, the Diamondbacks, and the Tigers. And I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many people who think the Pirates are better than any of those teams. But just pointing at what's happened here is they've been a much better home team than they were last year. They're 19 and 11. But here's the key, and this is one of the things that people will generally say. And when people say, you know, things are due to regress back to the mean or their luck's going to run out, this is what they're pointing at. The Pirates are 17 and 10 and one-run games. They've played more run-run games than any team in baseball except the Dodgers. The Dodgers played 28, and they're 16 and 12, and the Pirates have played 27 and they're uh, 17 and 10. They have more one-run one wins than any team in the game, and they've played a lot more of those games than, uh, than virtually any other team. So that's the type of thing that, uh, over time, tends not to be sustainable. Now it can be for a team over the course of a season, but they're 15 and 22 against teams over 500 and 17 and 7 against teams under 500. And I know last year, when I was doing the postgame show, the whole key to the season for me was the Pirates – have to beat the bad teams. If you don't want to be the bad team, make sure you beat the bad teams. They did that pretty consistently for most of last year, and they've done it this year. That's the good stuff. And now we'll see, as you said, uh, if the you know the schedule makers are kind of have been favorable to them, and if they can continue to sustain it to the All Star break, well, then you roll the dice and see what happens. Uh, but I guess that then that takes us, Charlie, to the question: and it's where the Pirates were last year, if they're kind of in the soup of playoff contention at the all-star break and you know at july 31st or 30th or whatever it is what happens i think that if they're still if they're still contending at, at that time i think we're going to see something something like what we saw last year where the pirates acquire some some offensive help but don't pay a lot to get it i don't i don't think that 
Neil Huntington is, is very likely to mortgage the, the future of the organization, such as such as it is, in order to make a big trade. And you know when he's he's shown he last year he was able to get Derek Lee and Ryan Ludwig for you know pretty much nothing, you know pretty much being willing to pay their salaries. I think those are the kinds of moves he's going to be looking to make if the Pirates can stay in contention that long. But we've we've heard some interesting rumors already. Yeah, the John Parado. Take it as you as you will. Posted a piece on Pittsburgh Insiders. I think it's called. Let me just get that name right. Inside Pittsburgh Sports. In, inside Pittsburgh Sports, saying that Neil Huntington has had conversations with Josh Burns, the uh, the GM of the Padres, recently about Chase Hudley, uh, the Padres' third baseman. And Charlie, we talked about it before we started recording. He's an interesting guy. Let's before we get into whether the Pirates could actually acquire him, he's an interesting guy who would be an addition to the lineup. Uh, yeah, and, and, and interesting maybe understates it. I mean, he's a very good player. You know, this is a guy who's putting up a 380 OBP in San Diego this year, and did it last year too, basically 374 OBP. You know, won't bring you a ton of of home runs probably even outside of San Diego, but is going to put up you know a good average and a good OBP. And he's a third baseman. I mean, he's just a plain old good player. Yeah, he's a good hitter. He probably, you know, average defensively third. Can play some left field, as you pointed out. Hypothetically, the Pirates make this acquisition. They probably plug and play him at third base, at, at least for, you know, you would think the rest of the season because he has two more years that he'd be under team control. And then they'd think about whether they would want to move him to left field or, or I guess left field is the only choice uh, next year because they, he'd still be under team control. Uh, we talked that it's very difficult to think about what would be a good match with the Padres, who they'd like in return. I don't know. I mean, it, it's we, we almost sound stupid throwing out names, but, you know, would, would Alex Presley and Jeff Locke get it done or do you, you need younger prospects or who would you, you know, who would you give up? But, we can just speculate. The other two names that Parado mentioned in his article were Brian Lahare, the 29-year-old first baseman for the Cubs, and Kevin Euclid, uh of the of the Red Sox. Now he says Euclid, even though the Pirates have some interest, very unlikely to actually happen. Um, Lahare is a guy that Pirate fans have thrown out there because Anthony Rizzo is going to come up with the Cubs here sometime in the next few weeks, and he might actually be available. Is he of any interest to you? Sure, sure. I mean, at the at the right price. Um, and that, that's that's the key with any of these acquisitions, really, is is what's the right price? Because, and I hate to come back, go back to being a downer again, but the situation in the Pirates farm system is such that they have uh, you know several players at the top of their at the top of their farm system who are very valuable and who I think we both probably agree the Pirates should not trade. I, I don't want them trading Garrett Cole or, or Jameson Tyone or, or Luis Heredia. Uh, and then, you know, a, after that, there's a pretty considerable drop-off in the talent in the farm system such that if they if they want to make a trade for someone like Headley or even someone like LaHare, it's it's going to be pretty tricky to find the right value, somebody that, that the other team would be interested in, you know, who you would also not be blowing up the farm system to to, to fine so that that's the tough thing for me i i mean you ask if i, I forget who you said um uh, alex presley and jeff Locke would that be enough for for chase headley and i would say no I, I and i don't think it would be close honestly uh i think for someone that good who has two more years of pre-free agency years left 
you're probably looking at, you know, starting with Starling Marte or someone like that and probably adding from there. So the question is, do the Pirates want to do something like that? I don't think they probably should. Yeah, I, I'm generally I'm generally in agreement. Charlie, we're, we're running uh, into 30 minutes here. Just a, a question. Jameson Tyon's been getting bombed over the last five or six starts. Obviously, nobody wants to see a, a, a guy of his pedigree go out there and consistently get hit hard. When do we get concerned? I'm already a little bit concerned, to be honest. Um, I think as somebody pointed out on the site yesterday, somebody who's as good as Tyon is should, should not be getting hit hard like this over and over and over again. I, don't, I'm not, I haven't seen him, obviously. He's down in Florida. Uh, recently but it's already concerning to me because this should be I think he should be having an easier time than he's having given given his status as a prospect I mean does he still project as a a big league starter yeah absolutely but it it, it is a problem to me when somebody who's supposed to be so good is struggling in, in high class a even if it's you know not for the whole year but only for the last uh month or or five weeks it's been a really bad month are, are you concerned yet I think I'm concerned with this last start. I kind of was not paying. Uh, I knew what was going on. wasn't paying that close attention. And then to see him get just smacked around again last night, uh, yeah, it makes me wonder a little bit. Makes me wonder a little bit. I'd like to see somebody address it. Maybe I'll address it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that that uh, gives me some concern. The other piece of news I just want to touch on before we close was. We saw the, the second hitting coach uh, of the season get fired, uh, Rudy Harmillo, uh, Harmillo of the uh, Cubs got canned after the Angels fired their pitching coach early in the year. I you know, thought um, uh, three weeks ago, a month ago, it was time to, to make the change in Pittsburgh. I still feel like there's no reason not to make the change, but anything to add on that? The, you know, the buzz about Greg Ritchie getting fired has kind of died down a little bit as the team has started hitting better, but it's worth pointing out that this is still a, a really terrible hitting team. Yeah, I think it's I think it's still something that should be very much on the table. Um, and I think that you know whatever is going on just in general with the Pirates hitting instruction, whether that's coming from Richie or coming from Clint Hurdle, it it needs to be addressed within the organization. And I'm I'm anxious to see what happens there. All right, at Cleveland for three after tonight's game in Baltimore, off Monday, and then the Twins and Tigers come to Pittsburgh. Uh, a chance to do do some more damage. Charlie and I will try to get back to a more regular schedule after the draft's being done. You can follow him at Bucks Dugout. You can follow me at DT on Pirates on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate the comments in the, uh, in the comments section at Bucks Dugout. If you have questions or topics you'd like us to address, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter or you can, uh, you can put them there. And we also now have a Twitter account for the podcast at BD Podcast. If you want to put it on there, we'll make sure that it's uh, distributed on Twitter as there as well, iTunes, and on the site. So as always, thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Charlie Wilmer from David Todd. 